0: Amen. Thank you, Anne. It's all very Alice in Wonderland, you know. You know everyone wins and everyone must have prizes, all of it. <laughs> um, this evening we're looking at the fact that it's the mission of God to defeat the powers of evil. And we're going to Mark chapter 13. If you're superstitious, this is a bad one because it's chapter 13, reading verses 1 to 13. Get over it. <laughs> As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us When will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of Anglicans here, great. I was um, watching the terrible scenes that we see on our telly at the moment. I, I don't know about you, I've had to ration what I watch just because it's so emotionally exhausting. But it struck me, I was the first man in the last hundred years in my family not to have fought in a war. My grandfather fought in the Boer War, not one we're terribly proud of. That was, of course, the war in which the British army invented the concentration camp. My father fought in the Second World War, which has a lot more justice on its side. In fact, he landed on D-Day, three hours after the Hallamshire Regiment took the beach with the Essex Regiment. The next day they took Bayeux, simply because the German commander disobeyed orders and left the city before it was destroyed by artillery. Nothing changes very much. Then, on June 19th, they came to a town that had the misfortune to be at a strategic crossroads, Tilly-sur-Soy. I will get emotional because I've been there, and this is tough, but from June the 19th to the 26th, Tilly was conquered and lost 23 times by the British until they finally took it. 23 times in eight days. If you go there, they have this moving museum in a, an old abbey with a massive crucifix on the wall with pictures of what happened. And you wander around, fascinatingly, with British and German families seeing where their fathers and their grandfathers fought and sometimes died. But there's one picture there that grabbed my attention, and that's at the end of the battle, when the engineers had come in and just taken down all the houses that were falling over. There's a picture of the entire town, and all that's standing is one standpipe. That's it. This is a town about the size of Histon. Something like that. That's all that's left. Not one stone will be left on another. We've all grown up in peace. We've become accustomed to it. And that's wonderful. But maybe it makes it less easy for us to remember that as Christians, we're engaged in a battle. That the Christian life is a fight. And that's what, what's highlighted In this passage. I mean, if you're going to write advertising footage to becoming a Christian, you just wouldn't choose this passage, would you? It's far too in your face, honest, and straightforward. It starts with the disciples, as ever, wonderfully being tourists. Look at the lovely buildings, Lord. I suppose there's nothing wrong in that. I was in Rome recently, enjoying being a tourist. And then Jesus says, not one stone here will be left on another. And it happened 30, 40 years later in AD 40. The Romans took Jerusalem and they didn't have modern warfare. There weren't tanks and thermobaric weapons, but this is, of course, an age before, antibiotics or anaesthetics. So it would have been awful. And we're seeing these awful scenes played out in Mariupol and elsewhere in Ukraine, and your heart bleeds for the people in the middle of it. Our world is being shaken in the way that the disciples' world was about to be, even as they were acting the tourist. Maybe there's a lesson here right at the beginning that we should be a bit careful about what impresses us. Grand buildings, things that look permanent, but maybe aren't so permanent. I grew up in the Cold War. I was a child um, in the Cuban Missile Crisis when we were just fractionally away from nuclear war. I remember... And the government put a leaflet through every house. You could always rely on the British government to be on the ball. Saying that in the event of nuclear war, you should go into your understairs cupboard and pull your mattress over the door. That was it. <laughs> oh, take some food and drink in there. That'll help. Thank you. Well done, the British government. We're OK now. <laughs> I remember the astonishment when the Berlin Wall fell. Who could believe such a thing was possible? And Jesus speaks to these disciples in prophetic ways, and that kind of sometimes makes it hard to unpick. You know, if you, I don't know if you recently used a telescope or even a pair of binoculars, and you you adjust the focus wheel so that it's looking far off is in focus or nearby is in focus. A lot of prophetic statements don't seem to have a focus wheel. Have you noticed that? <laughs> so that Jesus talks about what's happening in a few years and what's happening at the end of time, which we now know is thousands of years later, in the same breath, without any seeming indication that you, this is then and that's there. I often thought, why is God so bad at drawing roadmaps? And I've come to the conclusion is the answer is that he doesn't want to draw a roadmap map at all. He just wants to give us enough pointers on the way so that we know this is not out of control. You should expect this. And if we had a roadmap, map, what would we trust? It would be the road map. But the whole point is that Christianity is a relationship, so we have to stay close to the Lord to live through the moments we're in. The disciples wanted to know when, and Jesus just gives them an indication of the kind of things that were going on. And then says, verse 5, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I and he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. Why is Jesus saying this? It's actually worth saying that I've heard so many people talk about wars and rumours of wars and earthquakes and say, Jesus' return must be near. Unfortunately, this passage says that's what we're to expect, not just right at the end, but in the whole time between Jesus' resurrection and his coming again. This is what we should see. Maybe we need this warning because when things are difficult, we tend to cling for hope Anywhere, even in the wrong places. There's plenty of deception around. I did meet, apparently, Jesus once. Turned out it wasn't very convincing. Sat in a pub in East Devon with a friend of mine, chatting about what happened in church, as you do, and this guy leaned over and said, It's me. Which was less than clear. <laughs> and it turned out... Um, he was Jesus. And who knew? Well, actually, not us. <laughs> it was one of those moments where he draws closer and you move just down the seat. You know that you know those embarrassing moments? I mean, that kind of thing is, is funny and a bit tragic, really. But of course there have been far more dangerous people claiming to be the Messiah and leading people in all kinds of awful things. But the reminder here is that God remains in charge of the end. We just live in the present. And I think these things are said to encourage us not to be rocked in our faith. And let's be honest, who hasn't been over the recent weeks? Just to see what's going on. God, why? Don't you do something. I was at a Zoom meeting this morning where we were read from Habakkuk, which is one of those books in the Bible that every time I ask you to turn to it, it moves around. Have you noticed that? (laughs) All the minor prophets seem to just be interchangeable in my Bible. But one of Habakkuk's great cries is, God, where are you? We're seeing all this, where are you? And he comes to peace that he doesn't have all the answers. But I want to encourage you not to be rocked in your faith. And, and I wonder whether one of the reasons we do get rocked very quickly, it seems, is that we tend to spiritualize the Bible rather than understanding what's happening. The exile. The exile. Where first of all, the invading superpower took the young elite men back to their capital city so that they could re educate them in a different culture and take their religion away from them. Does that sound remotely familiar? And then later, when there was a sign of a rebellion, came back and crushed the city and its population took people thousands of miles into exile, made the ground unfit to grow crops. That's the exile. Maybe if we understood the Bible slightly more clearly, we'd be better prepared for difficult times. And Maybe sometimes we need to reassess our faith to think, is what I believe comfort to me? Just or is what I believe based on God's word, which is clear and true and challenging? And then Jesus tells us to be on our guard because you'll hand o- be handed over to the local council, which you know might not be terribly threatening if it's South Cambridge here because oh, <laughs> that's where I, that's my local council, but at the time that was going to happen to them as they traveled round the Mediterranean, preaching the gospel. And they knew that the gospel must first be preached to all nations before the end will come. Their focus was not on themselves, but on the message. I heard it once said that uh, uh, modern evangelists, when they go to a city, look for the the local Marriott or a four-star hotel. Paul probably checked out the prison because he was going to end up there sooner or later. We're called to a fight, not to comfort, not to prosperity, although both those things are good, aren't they? Not bad, but they can rob us of our zeal. The goal, our focus should be sharing the message, not buttonholing everyone, but speaking clearly, as we heard earlier, when the opportunity arises. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, And he wasn't wrong. But of course you can't avoid trouble. You just choose what kind of trouble you get. So the challenge here is to get into trouble for our faithful living the Jesus way. And finally we're told to stand firm. Verse 13. This is not one of the most encouraging promises of Jesus. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Do we live, here's my question, it's a question to myself, do we live in an age where as a church we're so concerned to be, well, let me put it way. we're so concerned not to be unpopular with our friends or with the society around us that we back off the truth, Let me paraphrase what Jesus says. I think it's something like this. Those whose foundations are shallow will not last through the difficult times. It's the parable of the sower, isn't it? Some of the seed falls on ground where it shoots up and it's gone the next day. Some of it lasts for a while and then fades away. But only those whose roots are down deep will last through the difficulty. People who are grounded in faith, focused on Jesus, and rooted in Scripture. I've found the last few weeks really challenging, really challenging, seeing just such senseless, utterly senseless slaughter because of one man's vanity. And a group round about him who won't say anything other than what he wants to hear. Is God still in charge? Yes. I used to have friends who weren't sure there was any such thing as evil. I've not heard them say that recently. It's evil, isn't it? But do we know, from what we've read and elsewhere, that God isn't taken by surprise... Why the world has to go through this? Yeah, I'm tempted to say it's above my pay grade. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that we serve a Lord who, in dying on the cross and rising from the dead, has won the victory, has made the ultimate end certain. So let me ask you those questions as we come to conclusion. Are you grounded in your faith? Have you got the kind of faith that can live through the storm without having to avoid the impact of it? There are times in my life where my answer to that will be no. And I need the help of my brothers and sisters around me just to get me properly rooted in my faith again. So if you're listening to this and you're Struggling with all that's gone on. Part of me says, well, welcome to the human race. We all are. But I know there'll be some people here for whom this is really shaken their faith. Make sure you talk to someone and get some support and prayer, if that's you. Are we focused on Jesus? Jesus, not the religious environment we're involved in. I've found some of the, if you see some of the pronouncements of the Russian Orthodox Archbishop, it's appalling. It's nationalism with a Christian vocabulary. And I I, I was getting very angry at this, and I found the Lord saying to me, so how many of your prejudices do you wrap up in a Christian vocabulary, Ian? That wasn't such a good question. Well, maybe it was. So we focused on Jesus, the challenging Lord who is never entirely comfortable to be with, but with whom you wouldn't be without at all. And finally, are we rooted in Scripture? Do we really have a biblical faith? I remember years ago, a good friend of mine, we used to go and do college missions together. He he used to, it was a Brilliant singer. He used to take his guitar and sing, and I'd preach, and we had, we had some wild times. Actually, I'll ask the, the best one is we went in to this Christian Union meeting at an agricultural college in Devon. There were about 20 people in the room, and he started singing, and the guys in the bar thought it would be good fun to really annoy the Christians, so they turned up the volume in the music. So Steve turned up his volume, so they turned up the volume higher. In the end, it was so loud that all the people in the bar came to see what was happening at the other meeting. (laughs) 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 So we ended up with 50 people hearing the gospel instead of 20. But Steve sadly caught cancer and died. Um, Far too young. And I remember a lady in our church just wailing and saying, How could God let that happen? And you think, well, it's tragic that he died earlier, but what's the saying? Everyone dies. It's the ultimate statistic: one out of one. You, you don't know when, you don't know how, but it will happen. But where is the hope in the resurrection from the dead? We were struggling. Steve was with the Lord playing his guitar, I've no doubt, Um, sometimes we miss the point in the pain that Jesus has triumphed. Let's stop there. Let's pray together. Father, we are sobered by what we see in the world, and we are sobered by your Son's words to us. And Lord, we want to take comfort... That behind all the evil, seemingly riding roughshod over good that we see in the world, you are working your purposes out. You've seen this before. And you are in control. Help us, Lord, to put our trust in you in a fresh way as we walk through the horror that we're seeing on our TV screens. And Father, as we were singing earlier, just put a fire in us for Jesus that is far greater than material security, the beautiful things we like to see. Put a fire in us that just is stronger than we've ever known. And Father, we pray too for one another that you'd help us increasingly to get a faith that's rooted in the truths of your word. Not superficial, not self-centered, not casual, not simplistic, but honest and deep that we'll engage with your word this year in a, in a way we've not before and start to live out in a new way the lessons you've put before us. Lord, amidst all the whys that there are in our hearts, and there are plenty of them, we pray that you put your peace and put before us afresh the challenge of living out the life that our Lord Jesus has called us to. In his name we ask. Amen.